0: As I was mentioning, uh, we're not going to uh, have the kids go down this morning, but uh, there are some uh, worksheets at the back uh, entrance there for kids to follow along uh, with our sermon text, which is Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 3. And you can find it on page 808, I believe, in the Pew Bible, that black Pew Bible in front of you. You've probably heard it a thousand times. There's a thousand ways to skin a cat. Who has ever skinned a cat? I don't need to know a thousand ways. I could know just one way to skin a cat if I really needed to skin a cat. I'm actually, well, you know, we, we have, a, we have our, our resident veterinary back there, and she's, she can confirm there might be more than a thousand ways to skin a cat. I'm more interested in processing deer myself. But you get the point, right? You know, there's a thousand ways. Well, you know, there's a thousand ways, and, and young people, you know, just bear with us this morning. There's a thousand ways. Uh, to preach a sermon, to, to preach a message from God's Word. All right, there might be uh, good ways and bad ways, but I would say that good preaching, all good preaching begins... Uh, when uh, a person is standing on the Word of God. Proclaiming not, not anecdotes and, and not sentimental stories and not speculations about how to have love and hope in your life, but standing, if, if anything is to be said, it should be said standing on something, and that something is the Word of God. Our, be- our very beginning point is to unpack. The best way we have found to do that. In our tradition, and in many other uh, denominations, is to uh, do that with exposition, working through books of the Bible, uh, you know, just chapter by chapter. It might take us years, but we're going to seek to hear the full counsel of God, and by doing it in chunks, it might take a while, but we will cover the wisdom. There's wisdom in how to do it, right? It's just like a, a jigsaw puzzle. Did anyone get a puzzle for Christmas. Did anyone work on a puzzle over the Christmas break? Yeah, I see a few hands. We've got, we, we, we perpetually have one around the holidays going on our coffee table, and, uh, and there's, more, there, there's more than uh, one way to do a puzzle, a jigsaw puzzle, right? But uh, much like uh, working a puzzle, the, the primary way that a lot of you do it, if you're like our family, is you, you might group things together, but typically you're looking for those what? Those edge pieces, because you want to make a a border, a perimeter to help define the puzzle. And that's part of what we're doing. Uh, Our approach to God's word is is setting out this frame, and we're choosing to work through God's uh, self-revelation and understand it. And when we do that, and when the puzzle comes into focus, then what we see in redemptive history this this narrative that God has unfolding from Genesis with creation, fall, redemption, someday restoration is that we have a beautiful framework and what comes into focus through mirrors and windows and types and images and promises and prophecies is the greatest focal point of all of Scripture which is the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's who we want to see lifted up pointing to him. Matthew here is about to capture in God's self-revelation one of the sweetest moments in that redemptive history because it has been 400 years since the close of the Old Covenant and and the prophet Malachi, 400 years of silence where God's people, the descendants of Abraham, uh, Israel, they had not heard from God until now. The closing of uh, that, the beginning of of a new covenant with a prophet. His name is John the Baptist uh, or John the Baptizer. And John, John is coming as the last great voice that God has called forth as a prophetic uh, witness. And he is going to come and be extremely bold, like I said, to the people of God. The people of God were very uh, distant. Uh, there's always been a remnant, but there was great, you know, great numbers of God's people who were not faithful, including their own leaders, their own kings, uh, over the nation of Israel are not faithful. There are some like we'll see and read here the the self righteous Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, last week we saw we saw John the Baptist. Uh, we we talked about how he uh, you know was was willing to you know come after King Herod, and uh, of course King King Herod uh, this is a different King Herod uh, was was you know was was willing to take his head off because he called him out. Uh, but a wise and humble person, all of us would be. Uh, to listen, not for all the ways that we think we're not like the bad guy or not like the focus of a text, but to say, how am I actually more like these people in in similarity that I might need help and a Savior as well? If I wasn't committed, if we as a a congregation were not committed to uh, simple exposition through text and Scripture, if that wasn't the case, uh, then this would be a text I would skip. I would at least be tempted to, but I don't get to do that. So here we are. I think it's a great text as we come into a new year, but it is uncomfortable. Uh, this is challenging to our ears and to our, our path if we're humble. Let me invite you to stand again in deference to God's word. We're reading Matthew 3, the first 12 verses. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom Of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and leather around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sin. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff, well, he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is God's word. Thanks be to him. You may be seated. Well, we heard it read earlier, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's ask his blessing on it. Father, we do look to you. We pray that you, our merciful father, would be exalted to Uh, In essence, uh, unplug our ears and soften our hearts uh, that we might have faith and love. We might grow in faith and love for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we're just uh, a few hours away from a new year. It's time for reflection and it's time for resolutions. I saw a meme this past week. There's a guy sitting there kind of half dejected and it says over top of him, well, it's another year and I'm still overweight and I'm not a millionaire. <laughs> you get it, right? We get it. We endeavored. It. It's not, you know, we endeavored. It. It's not that we didn't plan. We just, we, we find ourselves here. Many years, you, 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 you failed to plan and you plan to fail. I don't know about you, uh, but uh, I, I, you know, we all struggle to change. We desire it. We struggle to, uh, to affect and to experience change uh, in our lives. Uh, Even if we're trying to change for the right reasons and for the right things and all of that, I, I sometimes don't, uh, I don't communicate if I even make a New Year's goal or resolution. Sometimes I don't even you know, tell other people uh, because I, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be held accountable, I guess. Or I don't want to be embarrassed for all the ways that I'm like 86% of Americans who fail in their New Year's resolution by February. Uh, that's really hopeful. As a pastor, as your pastor, there's one thing that I would love to see our congregation do more of this year. And that word starts with R. What do you think it is? Read more of the Bible? Yes, yeah, that would be a good one. In fact, that is one of my resolutions this year is to reconnect with my old Scottish Uh, Robert Murray McShane reading plan so uh, you can hold me to it and I'm already going to tell you right now uh, if I miss a couple of days I am not going to try to play catch up I'm just going to pick up where the reading is on that particular day and keep making my way uh, each day through God's word to hear his voice but that's not the one thing I wanted you to do this year that's not what I desire most for our congregation that would be pretty high that would be really really probably a number close second but the word that we are we would be wise to endeavor towards. Regardless of what's on the horizon. Regardless of, of what challenges, victories, uh, sorrows, defeats, uh, diagnoses, soured, betrayals, uh, loss, grief that lies ahead of us this year. Wealth or not. Repentance will be for all of us. For anyone. Anyone. It will be life Giving, as strange as that sounds. Now, we already heard, read earlier from our Shorter Catechism, a good definition of what is repentance unto life. And it is a grace of God. We don't, this is a resolution. This is something to to seek after and hunger for that only God can provide. You can't produce it. You can't manufacture it. You can't will to power over it. It is a surrendering type of thing, as I hope to highlight Three things from this passage, I've got it listed in the order of service. There's a peculiar messenger, there is a sharp warning, and there is a hopeful promise I see here in this text. The peculiar messenger, how many of you follow different uh, influencers on your social media? That would be a good resolution, right? If I want to make it through Robert Murray McShane's reading plan, I probably need to just delete Uh, social media off my phone. Uh, But if you were following uh, something on social media, some of you know there's influencers. John the Baptist would not be one of these people, okay? He would not be one of these people. He looks peculiar. He eats strange things. This isn't any paleo diet. This isn't anything except, uh, you know, critters and honey. And he does not, he does not dial in on fashion. Uh, John's not really concerned about uh, people's opinion of him clearly. In Luke's uh, gospel, we know that John, the baptizer, he met Jesus in utero. Jesus was his aunt, or y'all say aunt, uh, his, you know, his aunt Mary's baby. They were cousins. John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus, and even in the womb, he leapt for joy uh, in, the, in the presence of, of in utero baby Jesus. John was set apart from an early age for a particular calling. Called of God. He is uh, setting the way. His primary message is one of preparation. It's also a call to action because he says he's proclaiming something, and that is repentance, a baptism of repentance. He invited people to be baptized and to, to repent, to turn. John's a good preacher. You know why, God, you know why John's a good preacher? Uh, not because he sets the border uh, just perfectly. It's because he's standing on something. He's standing on the word of God. He, he quotes even from Isaiah 40, which was our Old Testament reading. He's quoting from Isaiah uh, this voice of one, a, fi- a final prophetic voice. His message, if you were to summarize, is prepare and to make straight. In Isaiah 40, uh, Yahweh uh, comes with the purpose of leading a a procession. God's people, after years of bondage and uh, captivity and exile in Babylon, are brought back uh, through the Syrian desert into the promised land. But even now, they're back physically in the promised land, but spiritually, they're still far away from God. And they are also, at this time, uh, as we know, facing the oppression of the Roman government. But to make straight is to provide the Lord with access to our lives, right? Uh, That's what John's calling them to. It's what we're overhearing and being called to as well, that we would prepare the way. We must make straight what is crooked, the obstacles. We need to take them away, the ways that our lives are not in line with his holy will, now, just a word about baptism, right? Because we, we immediately associate something with baptism. Uh, this baptism was different than what we practice in Christian baptism. This would have been a ceremonial uh, outward cleansing that was, to, it was practiced uh, largely by Gentiles, people who were outside the covenant community, as a preparation to, uh, to come in. You know, when Ruth, a Moabite, uh, would have said, your God will be my God, your people, my people. She would have probably gone through a, a, a rite, a, a washing and preparation as a sign of, of her repentance as well. But it's so bad that, that John is out in the wilderness calling people, not who were Gentiles, but people who were Jews. This, this, the descendants of Abraham who knew the law of the covenant, you need to repent. And you need to be baptized to signify how bad it has gotten that we would prepare for the coming of a king. John is encouraging with a sense of urgency because in verse 10, I'm going to get into this in a moment, there's a warning of an axe being laid to the root of a tree. In other words, the pruning is done. Okay, Now that's an analogy that Jesus and, and other voices in the New Testament use many times. Of, of gardening and trimming and, and cutting. But now it's like, we're done with the pruning and we're going straight for the trunk and we're going to take this tree down. That's what he has. It's a farm implement. Jesus is coming also. We see this imagery in verse 11 of a winnowing uh, fork. It's, a, it's literally like a, a farm implement. that would take uh, what's harvested and, and if you raised it up and the wind were to blow, that winnowing fork would help separate the wheat from the chaff. And and the wheat would be taken in. And and so the chaff is is destroyed and done with. What else is John proclaiming? Well, he's proclaiming that Jesus is the greatest of all times. He's the true uh, goat. Uh, Jesus, you know, we're we're told later, uh, Jesus himself testifies that John uh, the Baptist was the greatest. Luke 7, in fact, he says of John the Baptist, no human ever born of a woman was greater than this man, John the Baptist. And now John the Baptist is saying, listen, I'm not even worthy to tie this guy's or to pick up his sandals. That's pretty remarkable. That's pretty profound. He understands the greatness of the supremacy of Jesus. I'm at, John is saying, I'm at the lowest level. I, I, I would take the lowest filthy position. John obviously takes his job as a prophet very seriously because he has the boldness like i said even to later we know a uh, challenge king herod you're you're perverse you are sexually immoral and you need to repent and he lost his head he's even bold enough to say you're a bunch of here he says uh, look at the text young people what, what what type of critter is in verse seven what animal is in verse seven a viper, a snake. He's, he's willing to call people, you snakes in particular. Well, let's read what his message is to these snakes in verse 9. What does he say? You do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Okay, what, is, what does he mean? He's, he is not for this, uh, this spirit or this idea of presumption. Uh, Don't worry about your tradition or your religious uh, deeds or your heritage. This is a warning to to them. It's a warning to all of us, young people, you included. Just because your parents bring you to church and teach you the word of God doesn't mean that you've surrendered and trusted by faith yourself. That's what we are called to do. We can't be uh, boasting about our ties or our history or our accomplishments. We don't get to boast about external or past things or, uh, you know, We don't assume that we're going to work our way uh, to God because we're smarter and prettier and more successful and harder working and more religious than someone else. He's warning them. The sharp warning here, uh, as he calls uh, some of them snakes, the sharp warning is you have forsaken God. You are lacking in true conversion, true repentance, the type of repentance, verse 10, that is wrought, brought only by the spirit of God in people. Not, not the right words, the right music, the right argument, the right book, the right speech, the, the, the right, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen people come to Jesus because of, of a pretty girl, but, you know, the Spirit of God is what brings people to Jesus, to, to true repentance and faith. The foundational message I said earlier is repent and believe, Mark one fifteen. Jesus' opening ministry. And the gospel is that profound Uh, you know, reality that in Christ, God has done for us what we could not do and would not do for ourselves. We can't make it right. It's unmerited favor. That's why we call it grace. What does grace stand for? God's riches at Christ's expense. He has to pay for it because we cannot and look at the imagery. Go back to the whole, you know, make the way straight. It's, 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 it's in the ancient Near Eastern world. Uh, and it was not uncommon if a great dignitary was coming into town, they would clear out the way. They would make it for the crowds and for the entourage of whatever dignity or, or, or royalty or celebrity was making its way through. I, I remember a, a number of years ago, uh, maybe, maybe uh, eight, ten years ago, uh, my daughter said, Dad, I want for Christmas a trip to Paris uh, I haven't made good on that yet, uh, you know, but, uh, but I did have a chance to go to Paris. Uh, Chris and I did on, we were on a mission trip and we, we were, we landed in Paris and got to, to spend the day there, uh, a number of years ago. This is before kids, sorry. Actually, you were in utero, Jack. And, uh, we went to Paris and we got to see the, the, the Arc de Triomphe and it's at the head of the the Champs-Elysees, which is this great, you know, road that was built to, to, to parade through and to celebrate under the ark all of the, the triumphs of uh, the, uh, the Napoleonic Wars. But folks, John is saying, if you, want to, to, if you want to see and love and appreciate the king, then you don't need to just mend your roads. You need to, to tear away the things that so easily distract and mend your hearts. John is not saying... Make the fruit of repentance. Go find some some apples and some peaches and and tie them on the tree and and make it look good and, and prepare it. It's not like that. No, you must surrender and turn to God. He's the one who bears the fruit by Holy Spirit. But to receive the gospel, to enjoy the gospel for what it is, good news, you have to receive it. And that begins with repentance. Repentance is a theme so prominent in the New Testament, over 56 times it's used in the New Testament. The very root of that word repentance in Greek is the metanoia, which means a change of mind, a, a, an altering, a turning of our attitude towards something. We turn from confession to contrition, but also to abandon. Repentance is, is, is more than words, not less than sometimes, but certainly more than it's deeper than that, We surrender to something, we change and we turn from something and to something. We turn from sin and we turn toward God. The imagery of Isaiah and this highway is to make straight. In other words, provide the Lord access to our hearts in the places that it's not in line. In other words, if you want Messiah's forgiveness and presence and grace in your life, don't just mend the road, mend your heart. Surrender it to Him. Clear away. Think about this, right? You know what it's like. You know what it's like in in, in in relationships horizontally. It's the same vertically. The degree to which we don't love the Lord our God as ourself, uh, with our whole self or our neighbor as ourself, it affects our fellowship with people. It affects our fellowship with God. So if we want if we want something rich and sweet and beautiful and 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 and, and, and noteworthy and desirous that is noble, it is repentance that we might enjoy. The fruit that we might enjoy what we'll get into here in a moment, but you have to clear away the selfishness. I I know in my life, I've got to clear away the the love of pleasure, the greed, the the love of control. We have to clear away the laziness, clear away the the self-righteousness, clear away the, the, uh, the ways that you know, or deep, deep behind me. It's not just apologizing to people for how I've treated them. It's apologizing because I know that I had a view of myself that was so high that it made me tempted to treat that person that way. It's going deeper in on repentance. Sins of, of attitudes and motivation. Sins of commission. Sins of, 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 of omission that I left undone. There's a difference between remorse and embarrassment. Repentance is more than feeling embarrassed. Repentance is more than feeling regret for the consequences of your sin. Don't think about somebody else right now. Think about you. I'm speaking to myself. We, we need a repentance that is saying, God, I have been thinking and feeling and assuming Believing and acting in ways that are wrong. I've been saying my thoughts are not pure. My assumptions are flawed. And I want my repentance to be real. If it is costly, it is real. C.S. Lewis in his great work, Mere Christianity, underlines the the component of, of, of repentance that's so So good, fallen man, he writes, is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. That's what everybody's trying to do this time of year, okay? It's not just an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He, humanity, we are rebels who must lay down our arms. Laying down your arms, surrendering, saying you're sorry, realizing that you've been on the wrong track, and getting ready to start life over again from the ground floor. That's the only way out of this hole. This process of surrender, this movement, full stern ahead, is what Christians call repentance. Now, repentance is no fun at all. It's something much harder than merely eating humble pie. Repentance means unlearning all the self-conceit and self-will that we have been training ourselves into for thousands of years. The best illustration that I've ever heard of repentance. Uh, a friend of mine is an Old Testament professor, Ben Shaw. He wrote it in, in Table Talk. Some of you get Table Talk like we do. He has this illustration. I'll put the article out this week in the, in the newsletter. Repentance, imagine this. Young people, you've played games at school, you know, red light, green light. You know, when you're running or you're walking, it's not hard to stop, right? Imagine if you would, if you're walking somewhere and you're, you're on a journey, you're on a hike, and, and you realize you thought you were heading the right way, the right direction, but you get partway down the trail and you realize after consulting the map, you're totally going the wrong direction. And so what do you do? Well, you, you sit down and cry for yourself. You know, I mean, you, you, you just turn around you, and it's not hard, even on a bike, you know. I mean, but we all know that the more momentum that you have, well, the harder it is to slow down, to turn around. So not, not just a, a kid who's, Running or a person who's walking. Now we're talking about uh, a motorcycle. Let's just take it even further. Why don't we just say a freight liner in the ocean that realizes we're off course and we've got to turn around. Let me tell you, it's not fast. In fact, you've got to slow down and then enter a long, 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 long turn. Kids, do you get everyone? Do you get the imagery? Sometimes it almost feels like in that repentance that you're not even going in the right direction. You're glad you're not going towards sin right now, but you're not even sure you're going in the right direction. You're in between. So imagine, imagine that that's the whole... Martin Luther at the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, I, I love it. When he went to the, the door of the Wittenberg Castle and he nailed the 95 Theses, he said number one on the list is this, all of life is is repentance. When our Lord Jesus, Luther writes, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers be one of repentance. Not to be confused with uh, the, the false doctrine of Roman Catholicism, which says we need penance, which is to go and confess to a priest. This is not that. This is repentance, and there is this warning here, but there is also this hope because, like a good prophet, he's standing on the word. He's calling forth uh, with a warning, but he's also granting a hopeful promise. He will come. This is now speaking of Messiah. John is 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 preaching. He will baptize with fire. Now, for those who have communion with God, who've been made children of of God through adoption, we have no fear of the fire of condemnation now. We are hidden in Christ. We have communion with God. It's not a destructive fire like is mentioned in in, in verse 12, that unquenchable fire. This is a fire that's redemptive. It's restorative. It's a fire that, that comes and brings forth life. It tears some things away, but it makes way for a new life, for new growth. The promise is that you and I, repentance is an ongoing thing, will experience fruit and life. Not not because you repented, but because you have been made alive, Colossians 3, in Christ. And by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you will repent. Repent. And you will bear, and we will bear the fruit of change and repentance in time. I'm so glad. Aren't you glad? are you glad? It's, I'm, not, I'm not that committed to the work. I'm so glad that he's committed to the work in your life and my life. The goal of repentance is the glory of God. The fruit of repentance is the hope of, of change and fruit and, and fellowship with God and fellowship with other people. When I I don't own my sin, wrongdoing affects my relationship with God. It affects my relationship with other people. You know that. I know that. Our words and our tears, they might persuade others to believe that we're repentant, but it won't persuade God, right? God knows our heart. And then all the urgency here for for John preaching, judgment is coming with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And even though the kingdom has already come, in part, and it's coming in its full, God can arrange that meeting with him uh, for all of us, any of us, without coming back. You just die, And then we face the judgment. How can we be sure then that this, this, this warning, this wrath, this, this axe, this winnowing fork imagery is not against us? Well, you have to look to Christ and take refuge in him. How can we know? How could you you know that God's anger toward us has been turned away? Has been dealt with? The anger in verse 12. Well, we hear it preached again and again. It's because of the resurrection of Christ. Peter preaches this. And honestly, it's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. It's in Acts where he's preaching in Acts 3.19. (laughs) And this is what he says. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins might be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I'm telling you, there have been times when I've had to look at someone in the face and confess and over time change. And it was hard. It was not fun. It was not easy. But it was life. It is life. For the glory of God, for the good of people, for the joy that we have. We have union with his Son, the Father, has given us union with His Son. Because of Christ, we're clothed in righteousness. We need His love. We need His cure. We need His welcome. And that's why we call it grace. That's why we call it repentance. Not penance. Not focusing on ourselves and improving us. So focused on self that somehow we'll, we'll get God indebted to us. No, repentance is a surrendering. It's a returning again and again to the father in response to what he has already done. So why don't you repent? It's the best way to prepare for a new year. It's the best way to prepare for any given day. It's the best way to prepare, uh, uh, you know, uh, a conversation that's important, a a, a reorienting, you know, sitting down with people that you love to repair and to mend things, to endeavor after the good things of God in this new year. Would you pray with me? Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the gift of your spirit. For showing us our our guilt. And God, we thank you for sending your son to cover our guilt with your death. Thank you, God, the father, for loving us with a steadfast love that adopts us into a family forever. Please, Lord, would you give us uh, all of us. As a church family, godly sorrow, not, not worldly sorrow, but godly sorrow of our sin. Keep us a, a humble people who, who live your word, who share your word, who's, who shows in, we show in our actions that your grace is truly amazing and transformative. Would you grant us, in all the areas that we need, repentance unto life and the fruit. Lord, give us renewed desires so that our holy lives would bring you glory. I pray you be with those in, in, in the course of a new year as we, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfect of our faith. Comfort those who are lonely, who are grieving, those who are trying to heal, those who are fearful, those who are feeling trapped, who feel hopeless about relationships and prospects and dreams. Be with our church, Lord, on mission. Would you grant us people? Would you grant us resources? to carry out this mission. Would you please watch over, Lord, our young people, the pressures, the temptations that they face. Would you please raise up, Lord, new new leaders, young people, a new generation. Please let your kingdom come and your will be done and our goals and our priorities in a new year ahead. For Jesus' sake we pray, even now, as he taught his disciples to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom.